It is February the 10th, 2022, and you are listening to Curiously Polar. Hello, welcome back. I'm Chris. With me, Mario, as usual. Hello, Chris, and uh, fantastic. Congratulations <laughs> for bringing back the jingle and uh, everything for the opening. The music is back. <laughs> hopefully we're, the closing. We're complete again. Um, Henry is yeah. still on a well, ship somewhere yeah, exactly. deep south, so... Um, yeah. We are we're doing a little newsreel item and uh, yeah, yeah. As, as we do this as often as is possible. So um, yes. sorry for the one week yeah. break. It's just what yeah, happens. I'm, I'm I'm really sorry about uh, last week. Yeah, it's my fault. I uh, caught the the bug <laughs> the, <laughs> that is going around the world. The, and, the uh, bug. Yeah. The bug. The the bug. And so I was uh, out of commission in spite of all vaccinations and things. But well, get get well. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm very grateful that you. I mean, you, you're not 100 percent restored, of course, after such a short time. But uh, no, really exactly. grateful that you're that you're yeah. uh, doing this. Yeah, I would also be grateful if Neil Young actually told us uh, that uh, he wants to stay on our podcast platform because there is Curiously Polar. Curiously Polar is on Spotify, yes. It is exactly. uh, It is on, on several different places, <laughs> yeah. including yeah. Uh, Spotify. Including. Ah, well, yeah. politics. Anyways. Weird stuff happening in the world. Uh, um, yeah. But we want to talk about polar things, of course. Um, and that includes a whole bunch of fun topics i'm just opening up the notes yes, here and uh, i think i think the the opening here is going to be quite quite interesting a little bit different than what we usually have but uh, well for, yeah. for those who don't know i'm a photographer by trade this is how we met by um by me bringing uh some clients to the to the arctic and uh you being our guide so this is this goes a few yeah. years back um and uh, for time since uh, since the Nord Lake and the expedition leading yes. there with you guys, that was a really nice trip. Yeah, uh, that Anyways. was that was uh, that was yeah. It, it it brought this podcast into existence. So, um, very grateful for all this. And uh, of course, as a photographer, um, there are topics that come into my timeline, and sometimes that it crosses over. Sometimes it has this Arctic connection. And uh, in this case, yes, there is a photographer called um, Ragnar Axelsson. He's an Icelandic mm -hmm. photographer who's been working in the Arctic for 40 years and uh, has been documenting breathtaking imagery. That's what Petapixel says, the website here. Um, and he's, he does things that I, I've, I, I look at these pictures and I say, oh, this is really strong stuff. And I just want to go through some of those and just talk a bit about the photography and what he's doing there. Uh, first of all, his pictures, at least the ones that we see here, are in black and white. And um despite the the arctic often being void of colors there is a very monochromatic uh, feeling sometimes if there's a lot of snow um making it 100% black and white kind of changes a few things cuz taking the colors out let's say colors from a dog sledge or a, a jacket or uh, just anything else on there color can also be a distraction in photos so doing this in black and white is 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 condensing the content of the photo into just the contrast, just what's there and not what is it colored. So it takes an entire level of distraction out of a photo and makes makes photos think, more expressive. 
But but I think, for example, this picture that we are seeing, I mean, the composition and the, I mean, the uh, the diagonal, of course. He's, like I can yeah. see this as a, as an amateur. I see like okay, this really nice diagonal that opens up towards the viewer. But then you have the dynamics of the dogs pulling and the immobility yeah. and the difficulty of the sledge on the other side. I think this is just a wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, these pictures are all very very. Let's say uh, very very deliberate. You can tell that the photographer uh, Axelson he really he know he knows what he's doing, and he uh, he there's no no accidents in those photos. I mean he uh, he this one this one of a of a husky, and the, the way it's composed is you see this one little hut in the background there, which is neatly placed into the bottom right of the picture, which gives it this I don't know this this. This contrast between sizes and things, and in the, the dust on the on the background, eh? which, which, which is dust. snowflakes, yeah, which is snowflakes, snowflakes in the air. Is... So uh, c catching those is not easy. Um, yeah. And then it's, sometimes he, he he just throws conventions overboard. Like you you have to ha hold a camera still and do not get any camera shake. Uh, and here he does the exact opposite. It's a very dynamic shot. The camera has been moving, and you see the the, the house and everything is kind of smeared a bit. So there's this ambiguity, this layer of uh, of of um, even like a veil over the picture that this creates. And again, this is uh, this is this is for me. It's very very pleasant to to look at these pictures. Um, he's also using the let's say the the tricks of the trade as a photographer you're always looking for ways to frame things so here you have a background um cave an ice cave and in the foreground you see the guy with his uh, huskies and it's yeah. it's the the cave creates this like almost like an umbrella over the scene that's uh, unfolding in the front so it's uh, and a bit of a threat because you just have these icicles hanging down that, yeah, I uh, know yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic, but it must also be quite difficult to get like the dark inside the caves <laughs> and the uh, and the highlight uh, in the front is still uh, visible. I mean, without like, overexposing the snow, without overexposing or underexposing on things, yeah, it's just like it's a uh, yeah, it's a bit of a but technical the, challenge uh, to shoot in these conditions when we're talking minus twenty, thirty, maybe forty Celsius in some places. Mm -hmm. Um, exactly, and and how how do does the equipment? Uh, I mean, he. I, I think that I've read in this article when you posted it in our in our preparation uh, site there that he uses both uh, uh, digital and conventional. Oh yeah, uh, photography. So uh, the 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 digital cameras or any any device with a battery pretty much is is going to fight the cold because in the cold batteries just cannot release as much power as they can when they're warm. We all know this from our remote control. When the batteries when the battery dies, you take it out and warm it up in your hands and put it back in and then you get another half hour of uh, action out of it. This is um, the same with these batteries. In cameras, you will typically have a spare battery or a couple of spare batteries inside your jacket so it's, it's warm and then you can swap them out. Um, the Interestingly enough, the... Um, for, especially for film cameras, for older cameras, um, the the lubrication tends to harden a bit. So the colder it gets, so you end up with cameras that are not as quick. So you might have different exposure times. Like if you go and say, okay. I want a hundredth of a second, it might do a twenty-fifth of a second. Um, and, and, 
And how about how about the film? Because the film must also get cold and, and brittle, for example. I mean, the film uh, film film all around. When when film used to be on celluloid, that was certainly the case. Today they are on a, on a plastic base, which will will likely not be affected, so it won't shatter. But uh, there's a there's a there's a report from uh, probably over or probably close to 100 years ago when some some photographer went to the Arctic and they had their Leica um, mm. serviced by Leica up front and made it made it cold proof. So what they did is they took all the lubrication out and replaced it with a different kind of lubrication that was more uh, suitable for the cold. So they re-lubricated yeah. the entire camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine that all the all the technology for the mechanical part that is also like with uh, with the normal, let's say, traditional digital cameras with the yeah. mirror with the mirror going up and down. There must be the same problem with those. But uh, how about the electronics, the sensor? Doesn't it? Uh, no. Doesn't it have problems? No, the the, the, uh... the image capturing sensor in your digital camera is is happy when it's cold. In in fact, okay. it it is it, it has less noise. Like astrophotographers who have long hours long exposures in the dark they would uh, typically have a cooling element on the back of their cameras to uh, mm-hmm. to avoid additional noise so they cool them down so that the cold is not the problem um and i have shot with a completely unmodified um dslr uh up to minus 25 a bit mm-hmm. more than minus 25 and uh didn't have any issues other than the battery dying a bit sooner and uh, having okay. to have a spare and then of course you want to <laughs> of course you want to uh avoid bringing your cold cold camera into the warm because <laughs> then you will end up with lots of condensation on the camera it's yeah. uh, anything cold like like when you come in from from the outside and your glasses fog up the camera will do the same so yeah. uh what photographers will often do is they will uh, pack their camera in a Ziploc bag outside and then bring it in so the condensation happens outside on the Ziploc bag and then give the camera yeah. half an hour to warm up and then it is uh it is back to uh back to normal pretty much yeah and then and then there, there is the other the other thing that always gets me uh, also an amateur photographer here but uh, like how can you actually operate with uh, I mean, with the gloves, there are, there are wheels and things like like it's it's amazing. I mean, you can have gloves, but then you lose the sensitivity. Like put pushing the shutter halfway to focus or to eh. or to uh, to measure the light and things. That's uh, like if it's if it's really cold, you risk uh, injuries. So <laughs> in at, at minus at min- minus twenty five again. That's that's my reference point. Mm. At minus twenty five, you don't want your hands out without gloves for sure. So, um, especially not if they are wet and they can <laughs> stick to no, <laughs> stick not to the camera, <laughs> not like that. But what I what I found was that um, I do have a pair of gloves that are quite warm, but they have a, a thinned mm-hmm. uh, uh, on, on the top of your finger. They are slightly thinner, so you can actually use them uh, on the camera. And um, if you if you turn those wheels, if you want to change the exposure and these kind of things, they are usually knurled, so it's it's possible yeah. to operate them with the camera. You have to practice a bit, yeah. uh, but to operate the camera with the gloves is usually possible. And mm. and then for some cases, you, you'll just have to go with setting the camera to automatic mode and letting the camera decide for exposure. And then if it's not perfect, uh, you have still you still have uh, post-production back home, so you can still 
uh, tickle those images a bit and get some more detail yes. out. So it's, well, it's fantastic. I mean, I think that these, uh, I mean, they're very strong photos. These, very these strong. Just amazing. Yeah, it's just amazing. These. So these I'm. Uh, and also like uh, documenting, like uh, it's it's the scenes. It's okay, but it's also documenting, like for example, with this man smoking. It reminds me of the hunters I've been out with in Greenland. I mean, the same. Oh, this mood. could be a picture from from hundred years ago. I mean, this yeah. is uh, this doesn't give away any modern amenities. He doesn't have, have, a, have a wristwatch or anything on the picture. So, um, yeah, this could be this is time. This is timeless, and a lot of these pictures are are timeless. Like when you when you see the huskies here, uh, yeah, the pups yeah. in in their hut again. Yeah, in there, yeah. Again, from a creative standpoint, it's it's this interesting contrast between the dark roof of the hut and the wider background. And you can see he doesn't fully make that snow white. It's always slightly gray. Oh, so yeah. there's a there's there's more detail in it, and it sort of also reflects what it feels like when this is very overcast up there. And uh, then he uses that roof as a framing device for the brighter huskies. Mm. It's I'm I'm happy. I'm happy seeing these pictures. Very yeah. good work. Very good work. That's really good. Yeah, it's it's fantastic pictures. Like definitely, and uh, and it's a it's a really nice, uh, really nice piece of work. And I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of uh, of him. I didn't know him, but uh, yeah. So. But, uh, Ragnar Axelsson, I, we'll put we'll put a link in the show notes. You can look at them yourself. Exactly, and and I when I when I saw this, I actually wanted to uh, wanted to show the that photos can also be used for like both. I mean, they are nice to to look at, but they can they are worth science. Oh wow, and, that's and a, that's is, a good segue is, to the where, next topic. <laughs> well done. This is actually yeah, exactly. And and this is uh, this is next uh, the next uh, couple of things that we want to show you is uh, that uh, Christian Oslund, a Swedish uh, photographer, has uh, uh, reenacted uh, pictures in Svalbard uh, of uh, glaciers. So he has looked for older pictures. You see them on the left, and he has placed a new picture practically in the same position with maybe actors like here or people uh, that are, are filling the frame in the same way. And he has two websites. So uh, like this is why you'll see the, um, you see the, uh, the two, um, uh, the two links in the, uh, in the show notes maybe. Uh, but uh, Christian or Oslund, he has really the series of pictures and the series of pictures show you, the uh, retreat of the glaciers, the retreat of the ice, how different the world is, for example, here between 1928 and like last year, I think. I, mean, I do not know when he was taking these, but I think it's over the past uh, three, four years that he's uh, assembled all these pictures. So you can see it's, it's not two different places here with a boat. You can see the glacier front and a boat in the picture on the left, the old picture from the 20s or the late 20s. And on the right, you see a Zodiac, a, new, a modern boat with a person on it in the same position, but without the glacier front. You can barely skim the glacier in the background. And, and they are all similar. The theme is like this. On the picture, the old picture, you see the glacier and the glacier front coming close to the camera. On the right picture, you see that the glacier has retreated enormously. And um, and you might uh, recognize now uh, 
the uh, the different fjords now in the one that is in the middle of the screen is uh, Kongsfjord. You can see the three crowns, so Svea, Nora, and Dana in the long uh, in the east of the fjord, the uh, Kongsbreen and uh, and Kronebreen coming in front, and you can see that in the picture on the left the glacier is coming out a lot more than what it is now and the glaciers are retreating and this is uh, this is a let's say a a qualitative uh, view of this uh, it, phenomenon it is from a, okay so so on the for, speaking as a photographer again there's a, there's a lot of these kind of projects where you will find old photos and then either have the same people in them 50 years later uh, or have the same places and show them in, in comparison. And here that, that theme, that artistic theme, that creative theme is, is, is so nicely coupled with showing the change in, uh, in the glaciers and the landscape. Um, so it's on the one hand, on the one hand, it's like, wow, what a great idea to do this. And, and, and completely reenacting the photos with people being in the same spots and boats being in the same spots, but then at the same time um, also making it really obvious um, that yeah. things are changing big time. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's less than 100 years ago these pictures, uh, they separate, less than 100 years that these pictures are separated from and uh and it's it's amazing like uh he, he, he also chose the same season so like it's it's not that he yeah. uh, like yeah. he tried to exaggerate this it is it is pretty it pretty it, it feels strong. very neutral yeah. very like mm. without an agenda just let, let me yeah. show you these uh, things and of course the, mm. the 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 feeling that something's wrong emerges quite quickly while you enjoy the art of it so it's it's a uh, it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit Pretty of a, a mind blowing so, thing. So Christian Oslund and Svalbard and uh, and uh, yeah, it's mostly Svalbard. I didn't see any from Jan Mayen, but uh, you can see in the in the website, and maybe you can also uh, search for his name. He's a quite a well known photographer, but. Uh, Pictures can also be used for quantifying. I would say this is a qualitative view of the glaciers and how they retreated. But uh, but then the next uh, part is uh, an article from Nature uh, that is uh, only accessible if you uh, like in, in its full view for people that are associated with a research library or have a have a subscription. But uh, this is an article by uh, researchers from several places, including the Norwegian Polar Institute, that have taken pictures taken in 1936 uh, like throughout from 1936 until 2010 have used them photogrammetrically so like with a stereo uh, uh, technique and have measured the dimensions of the glaciers and the mass lost by the glaciers so they have actually extracted quantitative information from pictures about the dimensions of the glaciers and how much they lost and uh, and this is uh, this is just i mean confirming of course i mean it's obvious that the glaciers have have retreated but how much i mean you say the, the glacier front has retreated x meters like 200 meters or something but that doesn't tell you how much ice was actually lost which is important to know how much fresh water for example has gone into the ocean how how much water has been added to the oceans which is part of calculating uh, how much the sea level will rise 
and also how much the climate influences uh, glacier melt. So this is this is really important. Photography is not just an art form, but it's also can be used, of course, for science and can be used both qualitatively and quantitatively. Quantitatively, fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. cameras, cameras are in, in general becoming more and more important visual measurements because you can now, uh, in addition to <clears throat> to just documenting something that's happening, you can also use them to really precisely measure things. And and we yeah. see this everywhere, um, as you said, photogrammetry, photogrammetry, which is the using several pictures and making a three D model out of uh, what you what you saw from from two D pictures up to. Uh, <clears throat> autonomy in cars and these kind of things. I mean, cameras are everywhere and they do a lot of things under the hood. And uh, hmm. this is a good, good example of, of where science is going and how they are using this. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yes. Then the uh, next, uh, the next point is about a almost science fiction i the first time i saw it it was just like wow but it's a project by uh, jean-louis etienne uh, this uh, famous uh, french explorer which is called polar pod and since the uh, yeah 2013 2014 he has uh, taken the inspiration from another project that we'll see in a second that has been running now for 50 years and about a a vessel that would orbit around antarctica in the uh, uh in the uh like uh, convergence zone around antarctica and uh, it will slowly orbit around antarctica and sample data for science and uh, you can see here in this animation that there is a, a supply ship that is towing something that looks like a, a like a, a structure a very long structure like a like an electricity mast or something that then flips over because this is actually a ship and uh, the bow of the ship is filled with water then it goes down underwater and the whole ship becomes vertical like a, a vertical pole that goes down 70 75 meters below the surface and there is only the aft part which becomes a, a pod on the on the top of the uh, uh, above this above the surface this and is the it, point where where, science. where where people should go and see the links and and watch the yeah, video you, you, maybe you, you really have to see the video because amazing. this is yeah, it is amazing. It is uh, going to like be able to move. It will be tended by this supply vessel. So there are going to be crew changes and things because it will go around maybe a couple of years, if not more, if uh, everything goes well. It has some sort of sails. So it, it does move by itself. It can avoid icebergs and things, but uh, and it produces its own power. So it's supposed to be eco-friendly um, and because it goes down 75 meters uh, it is very stable they have calculated that the mean period of the ship oscillation will be about one minute oh, between that like you know very, its oscillation up and down slow. it's very slow and the mean ocean waves in the area is have a period of 20 seconds so they will not come in resonance you know like if you come and you like on a swing and you and then he will be totally un unlivable and this is taking inspiration from a vessel called the flip and this uh, one i knew vessel. about this one flip, i knew about yep. That uh, is uh, still operational by the, as far as I know, by the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in San Diego in California, and uh, and it is the same principle. 
like you i mean just imagine it, it looks like a ship and then of, of all of a sudden it's it looks like it's sinking and it flips 90 degrees and uh half half sticks out and the other half is in the in the water exactly it is weird. and the and the the advantage of this is that you can also sample from deep down so if you're going down 75 meters you are not just sampling the surface can of they, the sea can can the people go down in that long shaft yes. to the bottom so yeah uh, to, to a large to a large extent yes because uh, of course like in order to flip the ship they have to p put some ballast in the yes, in the front of the ship so it just like so there is water in the very bottom it's just an upside down ship but, uh, in the water it's, it's an upside so down ship yeah not even and, upside uh, down 90 actually, degrees it's like yeah and actually uh Cousteau, uh had an underwater laboratory that was uh like a like a buoy that was supposed to go yeah that's what uh, it reminds to, to be me of. something but it is uh, it was um a very difficult now i talked to to one of the people that worked on these uh, buoys by um uh, a diver uh, that had worked with Cousteau on these buoys, and they, like he said, like they, it was very difficult to work there because they were so small and they were very mobile. Even, even the effect of the waves twenty meters down in the Mediterranean is enough to make you seasick. But uh, but these uh, ships, like the Flip and the Polar Pod, are going to be much more, much deeper. And uh, they're going to be much more stable. So I'm really looking forward to uh, to this. The website uh, is fantastic. So have a look at that and uh, and do uh, do enjoy. There is a part of uh, science, of course. There is a part of an educational program, and uh, and also a little uh, encyclopedia of the poles with a lot of uh, nice uh, nice facts and things you might know, might not know about uh, about being in the in the polar area and living in the cold and it's both in french and in english so, so really the nice. the newer version the polar pod when is that supposed to be uh finished yeah i do not know when uh i tried to find information i haven't uh, done so uh, i haven't managed to get the information mm. of when it's going to go out but it looks like uh, it's uh, it's going to happen uh, soon uh obviously not this year but uh because we are getting to the end of the uh, of the Antarctic season, right. and I suppose that they would want to start with the let's say the less bad weather, <laughs> and, Makes sense, um, yeah. and then of course, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll keep um, keep you posted. I I just wanted to let you know this. I found it only last week, so mm, it's okay. uh, it's difficult. Uh, I I didn't get too much information about it, but uh, I'll keep an eye on it, and uh, we'll come back. Uh, we'll come back with more information if we found it. Sounds good. Yeah, and uh, then uh, we have uh, two more items. One is uh, it's a very short piece of news about the Argentine Navy rescuing a stranded Russian scientific vessel uh, in Antarctica. Uh, this uh, Russian vessel was uh, like a supply ship as well that uh, was down by uh, almost by the Vernadsky uh, uh, Ukrainian station. And uh, it went, uh, it lost power, it went aground, and there were 29 people on board, I think. Uh, and uh, they were rescued by an Argentinian vessel that went and, uh, and, so, and assisted them. But, but this is more to let you know that there are, there is a, a search and rescue center for the antarctic peninsula oh really uh, it's a joint it's yeah it's a joint uh, force by argentina and chile that uh, uh, patrols and uh, and coordinates the search and rescue operations down in the antarctic peninsula so one is not totally in uh, like totally uh, on 
on one's own, <laughs> let's say, you, you in still case there is trouble. want to avoid getting in trouble down there for sure. Of course. I mean, there, there might be a ship, there might not be a ship in the vicinity that can help you, can assist yeah. you, but uh, it is it is a monitored area, and especially now there are more and more uh, expedition ships that are going with uh, tourism. It is uh, very important for the safety I mean, that of was, lives. That, that was one of the, maybe not an eye-opener, but some, something that uh, I really remember from being in the Arctic for the first time on a ship uh, around Svalbard, and uh, it was very clear that if something happens, there won't be someone there within 10 minutes, for sure. So no, you better exactly. be... And, and, and even 10 minutes when it's uh, plus 20 and you are... It's very different the, from minus like, 20. It's yes. <laughs> minus 20. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they feel so much, <laughs> so much longer down there. So it's, uh, it's a question of uh, like... Uh, being promptly out on the site and also yes. a question of limiting pollution in case uh, in case for example like uh, fuel tanks are breached and uh, there is a, a spillage uh, it's important to be there fast and uh, and to uh, take actions immediately and yes. it's good that there is in any case in this part of antarctica there is a there is a joint uh, search and rescue uh, center and and this operation was coordinated from ushuaia so really interesting all right yeah. And talking about, and then last but not least, they're talking about uh, about search and rescue. Well, this is more search. They're not going to be rescue. There anything, is no rescue but, uh, necessary yeah, in that we, case. We, we mentioned uh, earlier in uh, in one of the previous podcasts that there is going to be uh, this uh, search for the Endurance, uh, Shackleton's uh, ship uh, that went down uh, in uh, the Weddell Sea more than a century ago and is probably lying on the bottom of the sea somewhere in the Weddell Sea. Now, we said that the expedition would uh, take place now in February and March, especially now in February. And uh, if we look at the live ship tracker at the endurance22.org, I think, uh, that is the website of the expedition, uh, we can see that the Agulhas 2, the uh, South African uh, uh, expedition icebreaker uh, or research icebreaker, is making its way. It's almost uh, yeah two-thirds of the way to South Georgia. And uh, and then it will be going down in the Waddell Sea on the east of the Antarctic Peninsula to uh, the location where more or less they uh, left off uh, two years ago when they had uh, the previous, uh, I think it was two years ago, that they had the previous attempt in finding the Endurance. And as you know, the Endurance went down, it was taken into the uh, into the Waddell Sea and then the uh, ice actually broke her down and the... Uh, like the uh, people that were on board, Shackleton and his men, uh, they went onto the ice, they left the ship, and they could see the Endurance actually go down, and they know exactly which day went down, she went down, and they had taken position, of course, of the position, like with the sextant, they had taken a position of the Endurance. So there is, a, the best information that we have is uh, sextant, uh, like position sextant derived positions uh, based on astronomical observations and for all who don't know a sextant is uh, like an early version of a gps an analog <laughs> version of a gps pretty much exactly so so the uh the determination of the position by a sextant requires of course a clear view of uh, of a of a celestial body in this case the the sun uh, it could be the moon, it could be the stars, and then one needs to have an horizon, which can be also an artificial horizon. So it could be either a mirror uh, that uh, reflects the sun. So 
we take, let's say, an artificial horizon where you take the distance of the sun from above to the image that you have in the mirror, and then you divide by two the height that you get, um, uh, the angle of the sun with the horizon, or an artificial horizon like um, Mercury, for example, a bath of Mercury, they can do a similar, a similar thing. And, uh, and then the, the position of the uh, latitude can be calculated relatively easily if one knows what date one is and one takes, for example, the meridian, like the noon position the, the, of the sun, the noon height of the, of the sun. The problem is the longitude and the longitude determination of longitude has been a, 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 a very big problem until the uh, fabrication of accurate chronometer, a timepiece. There were times, I mean, that's that's important to remember, there were times yeah. where there was not a unified um, time around the world. Exactly. The, the railway systems brought us that, but it uh, took a while, <laughs> yes. Exactly. And so in order to determine the, uh, the position, one needs to have a, an accurate chronometer, uh, the longitude when it needs an accurate chronometer that can tell us, let's say, very simply what is uh, the uh, time with respect to a standardized time, let's say, for example, the distance in minutes between the observation and the time where the sun is passing the greenish meridian. Now, the endurance had been in the ice uh, they've been out uh, for more than yeah well like let's say two years uh, just uh, round about out in the ice before uh, we uh, we have this event and of the sinking and uh, and the chronometers and not be adjusted and we are talking about mechanical chronometers and needed to be wound up every every day or like regularly and uh, kept into into the uh, like the right the right position uh and uh and they would have a drift and the drift would be regular and so like there are corrections of course if one knows that there is an error of one second every two days or something like that that would be something they would have it would be related to the temperature because the mechanical metals and things but still, it is a uh, it is a problem. It's a problem. For example, Nansen and Johansen, where they were coming back from their polar uh, their polar bout after leaving the Fram and coming back to Franz Josef Land. At one point, they forgot, or like they say, yeah, they forgot to to uh, wind up their 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 clock uh, yeah. uh, for the position, and so they be, they suddenly had a, a huge problem because they wouldn't know if they would like be able to get to Franz Josef land I, I remember the land, time I mean to, if they were like in a different place it is hard it's really hard for for people today to to imagine what it would be without having precise time because we have precise time today but uh, I remember um, when I was younger that in order to set my my digital uh, clock my digital wristwatch I I had to call a number and on the phone which was the central time of Germany and then they would yep. give you the um, at the next tone it's 12 o'clock 10 minutes and 20 seconds beep and every 10 seconds yes. you'd get a beep and that was the most precise that you could get at home yes and uh, yes, you and cannot uh, do this if you are shackleton and you're out there somewhere <laughs> no. it's impossible no and 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 it was before there were possibilities of communication by radio because shortly after uh, uh even uh, even long wave uh, radio uh, would uh, issue a time signal yeah so you would have uh, and that continued 
a long time. I think that even now, if you listen to the BBC at the hour, you can have the the uh, the time signal from from the BBC, and uh, this beep 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 <laughs> that mm-hmm. tells you like this is the zero zero seconds for the particular time, and. Um, but that, but at the time Shackleton's expedition with the endurance, they were not uh, in that in those conditions. So they uh, they just had to rely on an inaccurate time, and this means that with this endurance twenty two expedition is trying to, like they started looking around the, more or less the position where they think the uh, where, where it was reported that the uh, the endurance went down. But uh, they have a pretty big leeway of. Like latitude, uh, longitude, especially, but also latitude how of where is, it could be. How big is that area that they have <laughs> to look in? It's uh, it's definitely bigger than what they can manage in a season, and this is why they didn't manage last season. Uh, the last time they were out there, they looked in as much as they could, but now we are getting to the least uh, extension of the ice, and. Uh, this period is going to be uh, they have a window of about a month a month and a half right. to look for for this because of just just because of the physical conditions of the area and then of course there are obligations with the charter of the ship and like like there is also like a practical, <laughs> practical there are economic uh, boundaries like, there, there are economic course, considerations yes. and also because the yes. uh, like uh, every ship like the agulhas have uh, programs uh, like uh, cruise programs that go several years in advance and it's very difficult to to uh, modify these without uh, incurring into penalties for the next project yeah has, but uh, okay we'll, good question, we'll question. Has, the, has the <laughs> pandemic changed that because uh i know that the entire tourism cruise business is, is kind of very reduced at this point um so have have ships been freed up for science is that something that well happened? there i uh, i know i know of a few ships only but uh like uh, the ships that have gone for science like the uh like um for example here in norway the uh companies hawk on the uh, icebreaker here and and others that have been using here uh, have been used here in norway they have had a very very uh, strict uh, quarantine uh, mm. program before getting on board so uh, people uh, have had to uh to quarantine for for months uh, i know that the uh, the sh- um, ne- the over next overwintering crew for the uh, uh, norwegian station troll in antarctica has had a enormously long like they've had like a, a month in a hotel before being able to to be uh, shipped over to the uh, to the troll station um so these are the uh, the on the one side the uh, isolation or quarantine measures but then there is also the question of the financing and usually you need financing for a research project that is set to go in that particular time window and the uh, uh, these projects if they have not been able to be carried out during the time window they usually you have to apply for transferring the funds or for delaying the project to another season. And it's not always possible because the funding, especially if the funding is coming from national programs, national financing program, they are part of the, uh, of the financial law for that, for the year for the government or the financial plans. And, and they need to be used there. And uh, it's a question of budgeting and how flexible the budget is, if they sure. can be transferred over to, to a later time or not. And, and that is, uh, 
that is is very different is very different for different uh, for different um, enterprises. In this case, with this expedition, it's uh, mostly is uh, sponsors, and uh, it looks like they managed to delay, <laughs> and actually they managed to uh, have an extra year already, an extra season because they didn't find the expedition the first the uh, the endurance in the first uh, season, and then they they managed to do it what also. What happens with a delay. when they find it? Is there like do they op- exactly. open a bottle of champagne and that's it, or is that what 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 is Practical. the plans with the with the result? Well, the uh, uh, the ship is uh, protected, the wreck, so they are not going to be able to move it or to do anything with it, but documenting it. So they have uh, ROVs, uh, they have underwater uh, unmanned vehicles that are going to go down and take uh, a, a very good survey, photogrammetric survey as well, of where the ship is and uh, and what it looks like and uh, and gather as much information as possible from visual information without disturbing the site. Uh, so it is... Uh, it is not a, an enterprise that is going to be taking back the uh, endurance uh, to the surface and into a museum or or something like that. They are going to get as much information as possible, which will might be telling us something about what forces have been uh, have been enacted on the ship. It might tell us about how it drifted down below the uh, the ice because we know what happened until because there was a very good photographer on board mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so the the actual sinking is documented photographically from uh, above the ice and um, and then so we're going to be having information about things about colonization we know exactly the date when the ship went down if there is life growing on it we know about like something we probably we will know something about the biology of of the area and um yeah it's uh and then it's it's like historically shackleton is a great name and yeah. uh the endurance and so it has uh publicity value so so and and of course bringing a ship back up is i mean it might not quite be the titanic but it still would be a technical a difficulty out there for sure yeah and it's uh like uh, it's not uh it's not sure that the uh, wood of the endurance is in condition to be moved. Anyway, it's not the Waza from mm. Stockholm. No, and uh, <laughs> just uh, did you did you hear? Now it's not polar polar news, but uh, one of uh, Cook's ships has been just located. Mm. So it is um, like there are there is information now coming up about uh, old wrecks. And uh, even though this is not a, a, of a galleon with lots of gold, <laughs> it's, it's still quite interesting to to follow. It is a these, treasure uh, of a different yeah. kind, for sure. That's a treasure of a different kind, yes. All right. Anyways, um, yeah. That concludes our newsreel. Thanks, everyone, for being with us. A very photography-centric show today with... Uh, with artistic photography and uh, scientific photography and a flippy ship and rescue missions in the Arctic and the Antarctic and uh, endurance. That was exciting. I really enjoyed yes. this one. And thank you for doing this. I know you're still recovering. So wish you all the wow. best. Get well. We'll see everyone Thank you very again. much, Chris. Uh, looking Soon. forward to next time. Take care. Soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.